on. James is going to answer this question for us. James uh, uh, wrote uh, the, the book of the Bible entitled James. Uh, he was the brother of Jesus. And I would guess that, first of all, can you imagine being like the brother of Jesus? That, that would carry baggage of its own, right? Um, but I would imagine that James had an opportunity to see the, the personal character and integrity of Jesus on display a number of times when they were growing up. Time, times where other kids were lying and Jesus refused. Times where other kids were bullying and Jesus refused. Times where other kids were taking the easy path and Jesus refused. And so maybe it was this observation of kind of growing up with Jesus that caused him to write this book of James because this book is a little bit different. Um, it, it doesn't really get into a ton of like weighty theological matters. It gets into a few, but by and large, the book of James is about holy living. It's about pure living. It's about our, our personal integrity as people. And so let me show you what James writes about this issue. Uh, James 1, starting in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, you're meddling, James, right? They deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So let's start off in verse 20, all right? In verse 20, James is making the argument that there is a sense of righteousness, purity, and holiness that God wants to see in you and I, all right? And so we wanna be sure that we start out there that God does indeed care about this issue, that there is a standard of righteousness, a standard of purity, a standard of personal character that God wants to see in the lives of his children. And we should probably just take a, a few minutes here to establish um, what we mean by the word righteousness. And whenever I think of that word, I always think of Jesus as our example. That Jesus is our example in all things, but he is our standard of righteousness. So when you say, what does righteousness look like or what does righteousness mean? What I would say to you is look at the person of Jesus, look at his teachings, and Jesus will teach us what righteousness means and what righteousness look, looks like. And one of his, uh, the longest sermon that, that uh, Jesus ever gave that's recorded in the Bible is in Matthew 5 through 7. And it's the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, Jesus says a lot of things in this sermon. But one of the things he does in this sermon is he establishes kind of a character ethic, a righteousness eth ethic, a, a purity ethic for those living in his kingdom. So I, we could do this all day. Um, we're not, but um, I'm on a clock here. So let me show you a few examples, though. Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, Jesus is establishing in my kingdom, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. 
Matthew 5, 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And Matthew 5, 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. Also, Matthew 5, 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And so, all through Matthew 5 and 5 through 7, Jesus is establishing this is what righteousness looks like, this is what purity looks like, this is what holiness looks like. And then in Matthew 7, he kind of gives a little parable in which he shares with us kind of the why from God's perspective about why this issue of character uh, and integrity and righteousness and all of that stuff, why this is so important to God. And let me just read the parable. This is from the message translation. Um, So uh, in your NIV or your King James or whatever, it's going to read a little different, but this is the message. It says, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build your life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on a solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved the house. It was fixed on the rock. But if you use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter. Very good translation of that word, right? You're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on a sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. So here's the why. Why does God care about this issue at all? The reason God cares about this, is, it cares about this at all is God is trying to give us a strong foundation to build our lives on, a strong foundation to, to build our house on. Here's another way to say it. We'll put it on the screen for you. God's righteousness and holiness leads to life. It's very, very important that we understand this. Because God's standards of excellence in terms of our living, God's standards of character and purity and all of that stuff, they will never make sense until we understand what is on the screen right now. That God's righteousness and holiness is intended to lead you to life. This is why he requires the righteousness that he, he, he requires. He's not trying to steal your fun. Right? He's not trying to be some cosmic grand- grandparent that is kind of an older fuddy-duddy that's trying to rob you of joy. Right? He's not that way at all. He is attempting to lead you to life. And you see it all throughout the Bible. You see that when God, uh, from the very first story, when God establishes a garden, one of the trees in the middle of the garden was the tree of life. And he says, man, if you'll follow my commands and you'll eat from this tree, you are going to find life. You see it in the story of the law. In the Old Testament, God establishes his Ten Commandments. He establishes his his law about do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not lie. And from the moment God gave those laws to his people, one of the, the foundational ways that his people described his law was it is life. Read the book of Psalms. All throughout the book of Psalms, his people are saying God's word, God's law, God's commands, they are life. When God's word became flesh, when Jesus came to earth and God's word became flesh, God kind of gave us an image of what the law looks like as a human being, and and it's Jesus. When the word became flesh, one of John's ways of describing Jesus was that in him was life. That, That if you look at Jesus and the way that he lived out God's law, he was living life. This is what life looks 
like, and if you're a parent, you understand this. Multiple years ago, I've told you this story before, but multiple years ago, uh, we were at our family's cottage up, up in Michigan. Our family has a kind of small cottage up there, and Sam was really young, and he was kind of playing in the front yard, and we were all hanging out, and he saw something like across the street. It was kind of a Uh, It's a little bit of a dangerous street, but not overly busy, but carts come through there kind of quick. And so he saw like something across the street and he started running for the road. And Cheryl was right out there and she let out a stop that stopped me in my tracks, right? It was the kind of stop that only a mom can do. Right, it was like, and Sam like froze. I mean, he had been like two or three years old. He, He froze and he started crying because he thought she was mad at him. She wasn't mad at him. She was trying to lead him to life. And a lot of times we, we really misinterpret God's commands and God's uh, standard of excellence when it comes to our personal living and we forget that he is trying to lead us to life. And so James applies this text in a couple of really interesting ways and we'll study it together a little bit, but I wanted to take uh, about 10 or 15 minutes and really lay that foundation that, because when we hear God's commands, it's like, what you know, this is gonna rob me of life. This is gonna rob me of joy. No, 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 no. His commands are for your life. His righteousness is for your life. His holiness is for your life. And so James applies this in a couple ways. The first is anger. He says that we should be slow to become angry, slow to speak, that whole thing. And he says because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Right? And we get, this, we get this internally. Have you ever known someone who's almost always angry about something, right? Think about that person, you know, that man, they're just always wound up, uptight, angry about something. Would you look at that person and say, they're really living life? I, I, I wish I had the life that they have. No, no, you would not. We know that anger robs us of, of life. Some people, you almost assume that they like to be angry because they're in that position all the time. Now, that being said, every one of us in this room we struggle with anger from time to time. And I, you know what I think part of that is? There is a part of anger that, that, that this is true. There is a part of anger where it feels good to be angry. Um, they, they've done some kind of psychological testing on this. And they know that the, the way that our, our endorphins are released when we're angry, um, the feedback that you get from others, you're right. I can't believe what they said or did. You have a right to be mad. That kind of feedback, the sense of perceived righteousness, that I'm right and they're wrong, there is a part of anger that feels good in the moment to be angry. But how many angry people do you know? Like I said, how many angry people do you know that you're like, man, they're really living life? If, if we're honest, we, we almost feel bad for them. And so James's, James's thing here is, man, you gotta get rid of that. That's not going to lead you to life. Another way he applies this is moral filth, all right? This just sounds like something you hear in church. We're going to talk about moral filth for a while. Um, and this is a really, really unusual word, all right? As a matter of fact, this is one of the only times this word is ever used in the Bible. A couple other versions of it are used, but this is a very strange word. Um, there's a close kind of correlation to it in the book of Colossians, um, Colossians 3, 5 through 11. We're going to study this passage next week, but let me just kind of show you how this passage lays out. It says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all these things, anger, rage, Malice, slander, and filthy language. That's the word right there, filthy language uh, from your lips. And do not lie 
uh, to each other. So you can see this kind of list in Colossians, sexual immorality, greed, language. Moral filth would, would describe anything, that any action that we take that ultimately leads to a sense of guilt or regret or shame. It's the thing we regret. It's the thing we wish we hadn't done. It's the words we wish we hadn't spoken. It's the thing we'd like to do over uh, again. And it goes all the way back to, again, to Genesis 3. We go back to Genesis 1 through 3 so often because so much goes back to that. But in Genesis 3, when the first man and the first woman commit the first sin, one of the very first images of them, we find them hiding. And we find them covered. Before it said they, they were naked and they felt no shame. Now they're covered. They're hiding because they feel this sense of shame. And this is what this kind of, what, what James would describe as moral filth, moral filth. This is kind of what it does to us. Is it's the person that deletes the text messages because they're inappropriate. It's the person that goes and tries to delete the internet history because they don't want anybody to see. It's, it's the lie that we tell because the truth is so embarrassing to us. And listen, because God loves you, and because he wants to lead you to life, he wants you to understand a couple things. One is you can be forgiven of anything. You really can. His grace is sufficient for all. So you can be forgiven, but also because God lives, loves you, he wants to see you rid yourself of that stuff. He wants to see you get, get rid of it so that you don't have to walk around with that feeling anymore. Man, who's going to see the text? Who's going to see the internet history? Who's going to misinterpret the conversation or correctly interpret the conversation? And you just kind of walk around always nervous. He wants to see you rid of that. He wants to see you put that away. And the last category, the NIV translates it as evil, all right? So you got anger, moral filth, and evil. And I don't like to do this very often because... For a variety of reasons, I don't. But this is a terrible translation of this word. Um, it, it, it really is. because, And the reason it's so terrible is that when we, when we read the word evil in the Bible, we usually think of terrorists and serial killers. And what we think is, well, I'm not a terrorist and I'm not a serial killer, so I'm good, right? Um, and you know, I'm, ahead, I'm ahead of these guys that James is writing about anyway, right? And um, we see this passage and we think that I'm uh, not evil. Now, the, the King James doesn't do any better with this word. The King James translates this word, the superfluity of naughtiness. <laughs> right? Right? And I think that's worse, to be totally honest with you. Um, I can understand why the translators of that IV are going to, instead of superfluity of naughtiness, let's go evil. Right? Um, uh, but, but, but they're both pretty bad translations. Let me explain to you why. Is that um, there's a couple kinds of wickedness or naughtiness or evil in the Bible. Um, and one is the action, that I am taking this action that God has commanded me not to take. It's against God's commands, against God's desire, and I take that action. There's also a wickedness or a naughtiness or an evilness of the mind. And this is that word, all right? What James is describing here is a wickedness of, of the mind. And I remember I, growing up, um, I, went to, I went to camp a lot, uh, to Christian camp. And one of the things that say, they said to us at camp again and again was, like, as long as it's in your mind, it's not a big deal, right? It's when you take action that you really find yourself getting into trouble. But as long as it's in your mind, it's, it's okay. And I understand what they were saying. Obviously, we don't want to take action, but the Bible would teach us to guard our minds, to guard our minds. That this, this text is describing a someone who in a million years, because they're civilized or they're nice or they weren't raised that way, they would never take action. In a million years, they would never take action. But this is describing the person that they are having these thoughts uh, that aren't good 
and they're not godly. And they're, they're, they're heading down a, a, a path. And man, I'm telling you what, these type of thoughts that you and I sometimes have, they affect our life, I think, more than we know. Um, I think they rob us of joy. I think they sap us of energy. I think they sap us of our ability to focus on Christ. I think they affect our ability to stay focused on the positive. I think they affect the way that we see the world and ultimately God. And because he loves us, later on, um, uh, God will, will tell us to take every thought captive. That, that, that don't assume that our, our thought life is really no big deal because it might, it might be doing some, some damage. So he said, man, rid yourselves of that form of evil, right? And like I say, we hear the word evil and we want to dismiss it, but this is just talking about your thought life. That, that you, you because, because you're nice people, I, I know you, right? You'd never take action, but we're having these thoughts that aren't good or godly and he wants to see us rid of that because it's robbing us of, of life. And you say, how do I do that? How do I work on anger um, moral filth, evil thoughts. How, how do I do that? And I think there's a couple practical ways, and then I want to give you like an overarching idea. Um, I'll tell you what I have started doing this year, um, because these are a few things that I have kind of struggled with, you know, taking my mind captive and, and all of that stuff. And I have decided to start restricting my media. So I've, I can't even tell you the number of times that someone's come up and been like, have you seen the news? And honestly, I haven't. Um, it really bums me out, the news does. <laughs> Right? And I, I, find it, I find it really, really hard uh, to, to stay positive and to stay focused on Christ when I'm watching news again and again and again. Now, I think we should be informed, all right? So don't you know, leave here going, Steve you know, thinks we should all be ignorant. No, we shouldn't, all right? Um, we should be informed, but like, I know people that get up in the morning and they turn on the news and it's just all day. They're just watching news and commentators and and all of that all day long. So I've started to restrict my, my media and my news just to help me with this. Um, I've started to restrict my social media. Um, and, uh, well, I'm not gonna give any more commentary on that, all right? So um, social media can bum you out too, all right? So uh, I started to restrict that a little bit. Um, so you may need to stop doing certain things. You may need to start doing certain things. Replace news with praise music. Social media with a helpful book. Really, a negative friend with a more encouraging one. There's lots of things like that uh, you can do. And I think what makes this so hard is um, what Paul writes in this text. Is what Paul, or James, excuse me. Uh, what James writes in this text in verse 21. And he says, man, get rid of all this stuff. Get rid of this anger and moral filth and evil and all that. And, and he says about it that it is so prevalent. And isn't that true? This is what makes living out James's words so hard is because anger is prevalent. Moral filth is prevalent. Evil is prevalent. And so it's all around us and it really is uh, prevalent. I'll tell you, I had um, this conversation with Cheryl the other day is we saw a special um, do you remember the show Will and Grace? Um, we, the, the, there, was this, there was a special on about this show, and we were kind of watching the special, and that show was on years ago. Um, I, I think it went off the air even before we moved to, move, moved to Decatur, but I, I turned to Cheryl about halfway through, and I said, you know, um, I remember when this show was on, and I, I said, I knew it wasn't the best show in the world, but I just was drawn to it. <laughs> you know, that there was something about it I liked, and I think you could say that about a lot of things in our culture, is that like we're watching it, we're going, I don't think I should be watching this, but it's so funny, or it's so well done, or, or it's so whatever, and, and we're just kind of drawn 
we're drawn to it. And this stuff, it, it is just so prevalent, so it's hard uh, to live out the, the command of James to live these godly, pure, and holy lives. And so let me tell you how committed God is to this. Uh, according to James, God is so committed to this that he has planted his word inside of you. All right? that, that he so wants to see us live countercultural, different, godly, pure, and holy lives that he plants his word inside of us. And so we know, we know that this is true in a couple of ways. One is that we have, we have the Bible, uh, that we have God's word. Another thing that we have, uh, another person that we have is Jesus, who was the word become flesh. So we have Jesus. And then Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit inside of us. And so we have all of the, we live in a really, really unique age right now because we have God's holy word, the Bible. We have the word become flesh, Jesus. And we have the Holy Spirit all available, available to us today. And so all of this stuff gets planted inside of us. So I think there's a strategy for living a more holy, more pure life. And I just want to share it with you. Um, you can do kind of whatever you want with this. But one um, is a more practical suggestion than the other. But it's really two steps. The first one, I'll put it on the screen, to you, is what James says. Don't just listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. All right? So this is kind of step one is don't just listen to it. Um, do, do, do instead um, what, what, what it says is that this is the danger of a message like the one James is proclaiming, that it would be easy when you're reading the book of James to say, listen, I know I need to forgive. Um, I know I need to end that inappropriate relationship. I know I need to stop texting. I know I need to stop spending. And then it like kind of stops there. Uh, and there's kind of a good feeling that can come with conviction. I remember um, years ago, did you guys ever watch the show The Biggest Loser? I'm really doing some dated TV today uh, in, in terms of illustration, but uh, I remember watching The Biggest Loser one day, and it was the, these people whose kind of eating habits and workout habits had kind of gotten out of control, and they would go to this um, area where, where they would just really work out eight hours a day, radically change their diet, and the competition uh, to see who could lose the most weight. And I remember on more than one occasion, I was watching The Biggest Loser with a big bowl of ice cream. I'm going, you go, girl. You go, you, you know. You take control of your life, and I am just stuffing it down my pie hole, you know? Um, and I needed to exercise more, and I needed to eat right, but there was something lost in the translation there. There was something lost in the translation there. I'm like, oh, they're doing so well. Pa pass me the Doritos, you know? They're, they're, you know, that it just didn't go anywhere. And this is what James is concerned about, is there can be a deception that comes from listening. When you hear a sermon, when you read a book, when you have this moment of conviction, there can be this moment of, I've been convicted. Um, and, and then it just doesn't go anywhere. And so James kind of says this. He says, um, and th this is really the two-pronged approach that I was alluding to earlier. He says, so the first thing is we gotta look intently into law. All right? we, have to fall, we have to understand that this is for our life. That the example of Jesus is for our life. That the Holy Spirit is for our life. So, so the first thing is we have to look intently into the law and we, we have to specifically look at Jesus and say, man, I want to be more like him. So Jesus was generous. I want to be more generous. Jesus was holy. I want to be more holy. Jesus was righteous. I want to be more righteous. I want to be more on mission like he was. Um, and as we do that, as we look intently into the perfect law, James says, there will be these moments of conviction where it's like, man, I'm looking at Jesus and I realize I fall short in the area of generosity or I fall short in the area of holiness or righteousness or being on mission. And in our culture, 
we are like so afraid of that moment of, 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 of realizing I fall short. Don't run away from that. That, that is the Holy Spirit kind of pressing something into your life that, man, I need to change. And so we look intently into the law, and, and there's this moment um, where, where we feel conviction, but we don't want to be like the guy that James describes in this text who looks in the mirror and then quickly forgets what he looks like. That I look at Jesus, I look at his word, I see something I need to grow in, and then I just leave it with, with his word. And so I want to give you kind of a second step that I think I have found helpful. Is first we look intently into the word, and then the second thing is we immediately apply. It is immediate application. That I have had this theory about preaching, and don't, you don't have to say anything to me after the sermon about this, okay? It's okay, it really is. I've had this theory about preaching going on for like a decade, that people will not remember what you said, but they will remember the decision they made. Now, you don't have to come up to me after and say you remember what I say. I know you don't, all right? I, I know you don't. And the reason I know that you don't is because often on Tuesday, I can't remember what I preach Sunday. All right, so I know, I know you don't, and it's, it's okay, but, but I'm not trying to be convicting here at all. It, it just is true that people will not remember what you said specifically. They will remember the decision they made, and so I always say to young preachers, you better move people to a decision, because if you don't move people to a decision, they're not going to remember Jack Swat, right? So, you know, move people to a decision. The decision part is really, really important, and I think that's true here, here as well, is that when you come across a truth at church, or in your daily Bible reading, or in a book, or in a podcast, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Take five additional minutes and immediately apply the truth you were just convicted by. This has been really, really helpful to me, because otherwise we end up like the guy that James describes, is that you look in the mirror, and you're like, man, I need to get my anger under control. I need to get my thought life under control. I need to, get my, I need to be more holy and righteous. And you look into the law, and you see the truth, and then you just kind of go on with your day. And so I want to encourage you, instead of just going on with your day, I want to encourage you to take five minutes and immediately apply the truth. So let me give you an example. You can be like, man, Jesus was generous. I'm not as generous as I want to be. I need to be more like Jesus. So right then, right then, I'm going to take a, a step to be more generous. This is one of the things, this is going to sound like an advertisement. It truly is not. This is one of the things that I love about our app, all right? is that in the moment, like the minute our, our money kind of hits our bank account, is you can go in there and you can give that right away. So this is just kind of one application of it, that in the moment where it's like, I need to be more generous, write a check, go to the app, do whatever, and just do something to, to apply that truth right away. Or Jesus was forgiving. He's the most forgiving person that ever lived. So right then, I'm gonna craft an email, or I'm gonna invite somebody to lunch, or I'm gonna extend an olive branch. I'm gonna immediately apply that truth. Jesus was pure. So it's like right now, I'm going to apply the truth. I'm going to end that relationship, or I'm going to ask someone to hold me accountable, or I'm going to confess to someone. I'm going to immediately apply the truth. This really does just take a couple minutes. But instead of just being convicted by the truth, like James says, we don't want to be like that guy who sees it in the mirror and then quickly forgets what he looks like. Just add five minutes to your schedule in terms of reading the Bible or listening to a sermon or whatever and immediately apply the truth. And here's James's take-home point. I think this is really cool. He says, if you'll do this, if you won't deceive yourself and just listen to the word, but instead you'll do what it says, here's James's take-home. You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. And so I really don't know like, what this looks like for you and I. 
This is something that I hope maybe God is going to press in on you. But man, this area of my life has gotten a little bit out of control. Or this relationship is heading down a bad path. Or or this situation isn't what it needs to be. I I just hope the Holy Spirit will kind of lean into you and press that on you. And then just take five minutes right after church. I'm going to apply this right now. Um, And and you will be blessed. I promise you'll you'll be blessed. Because here's what I know. Jesus is leading you to life. He is. So why purity? Why does God care about our personal integrity and our purity and our character and our righteousness? righteousness? It all starts with why. And the reason is God loves you. He really does. He loves you. And he's leading you to blessing. And he's leading you to life. And there are some things that he wants to see you rid of. There are some things he wants to see me rid of. There are some things he wants to see added in. There are some things that, that he wants to see me start doing. And so, but, but here's the key to this whole thing is we have to be committed to not just hearing that from him. We have to be committed to doing what he says. And, and I, think, I think one of the best pieces of advice somebody ever gave me was in this area of immediate application. I really do. I stole it, just so you know. Um, Immediate application that, man, right now, as part of my Bible reading or listening to this sermon or whatever, I'm going to apply it right now in some small or big way. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for being, uh, that he was such a great example for us of life. And we, um, we want to be more like him. Um, it's our mission statement as a church. Uh, that we're a growing family journeying together to be more like Jesus. So we want to be more like Jesus. Would you convict us right now of an area of our life that needs to be altered or, or changed? Or um, maybe it is anger. Maybe it is a morality issue. Maybe it is a thought issue. But just something that you see right now in us, and you're like, that is not going to lead you to life. I know you're thinking about that. I know you're doing that. It's not going to lead you to life. Convicted us of that right now, Lord. And then give us the wisdom to know how to apply that truth. It's one thing to know that's not going to lead me to life. It's another thing to apply the truth and to begin to walk in a different direction. So help us to do both, Lord. Help us to see it. Help us to apply it. It is in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Will you stand? We're going to sing a song of invitation. And uh, I'd love to pray with you. We're going to have a couple other prayer counselors up here. We'd love to pray with you. Um, If you're interested in knowing more about um, this Jesus in whom was life, John says, in him was life. If you want to know more about Jesus, we'd love to begin a conversation with you about him uh, as well. So you come forward as we sing this song.